chapter 12. I'm going to share a message that I have preached. It's been probably about four or five years ago. Um, maybe, maybe yeah, I think about four years ago. And um, But uh, every, it's one of those messages that uh, I try to preach every once in a while just by way of remembrance to try to be a help to people. And uh, if nobody else in here needs it today, I'll tell you this, I do. So uh, you may have to just sit and listen to me preach to me. But uh, I hope it will be a help and encouragement to you. Hebrews chapter number 12. And, of course, we know Hebrews 11 is referred to many times as the hall of faith in the Bible. It mentions a lot of people uh, in Scripture that by faith, by faith, by faith, and over and over again, it talks about how they did uh, wonderful things for the Lord by faith. And uh, as we get to chapter 12, the writer of Hebrews says in verse number 1, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Father, we come to you once again. I ask for the next few moments that you'll strengthen uh, the preaching of your word. May it be uh, helpful to the hearts of men. May your Holy Spirit do his work, and may your word uh, do the transforming work that it so often does in our hearts and our lives. May there not be anything in us that would hinder or that would quench the working of your Holy Spirit Uh, that we would learn some things that will be of help to us in our daily lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to mention today that uh, the Lord Jesus Christ is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. The Bible teaches us that. His desire is not for men to die and go to hell. Uh, He takes no joy in the judgment of the wicked. His desire is that they will turn to Him. Uh, He's offered a way of escape from our sin. And uh, the penalty of our sin, of course, being death and hell for eternity. Uh, It's not just uh, an end of life when we die, but uh, we spend an eternity somewhere. And uh, the place of hell is referred to as a literal place. And at the very end of time, after the tribulation period takes place, God is going to take death and hell and He's going to cast them into the lake of fire. And they will be there for all of eternity. And I would say this, that (coughs) there is nothing (coughs) that you and I can do in our lives to pay for our sin. There's not enough good that we can do. In fact, the Bible calls our righteousness the very best that we have to offer God. He calls it filthy rags. And in the sight of God, even our righteousness is not worthy. And so it's very important for us to understand this truth that Jesus Christ came into this world to seek and to save that which was lost. He came to save sinners. He didn't come to call the righteous, but those that were in need of being saved to repentance. And, of course, we understand from Romans that there are none righteous, no, not one. There's none that doeth good, no, not one. And the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 3, verse number 23, that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The truth is, uh, there's not a single person ever been born other than the Lord Jesus Christ Himself that is not already, because of their sinful nature, headed to a place called hell. God loved us so much, and He loved you. Can I say that? He loved you so much 
And He was willing to pay the price for you. He sent His Son to die on the cross, live a perfect life, die on the cross. He was in the grave for three days, the Bible says, and three nights. And after three days and three nights, He rose from the dead, victorious over death and hell and the grave. And He offers to you and I freely the gift of eternal life. It's not something we earn. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9 says, For by grace are you saved. The word grace is getting something that you don't deserve. We don't deserve to be saved. We've sinned. We, we deserve the penalty for that. But God loved us enough, the Bible tells us in Romans chapter number 5 and verse number 8, that He commendeth His love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. What an amazing Savior we have. What a love that He has for you and I. And, and the truth of the matter is, Jesus said it in His own earthly ministry while He was here on this earth. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. There's not any way for you and I to make it to heaven unless we come through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. His death, His burial, His resurrection, what He did on Calvary for you and I. We've got to put our faith and our trust in what He's done for us to save us from our sin. We cannot trust ourselves. We cannot trust our works. We cannot trust our church membership. We cannot trust our baptism. We can only put our faith and our trust in what Christ has done for us to pay for our sin. And the Bible teaches us that very, very clearly. The Bible tells us here, as we get to Hebrews chapter number 12, that Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ, was the author and the finisher of our faith. He's the one that helps us to have the faith in Him. And for us to understand Scripture and allow the Holy Spirit of God to speak to our hearts as we read the pages of Scripture to show us the truth that is given in it. The idea that we are to trust Him as our Savior for our salvation and nothing else. We're not to trust our works. And there's a whole list of people here that were saved by faith in the book of Hebrews, chapter number 11. And as we get to verse number, chapter number 12, he makes this statement, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. There are those that have gotten saved, that have trusted Him by faith before, that are able to watch and to see. And he says, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us, you and I, lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. I want to express to you today that this is not dealing with our salvation but it is dealing with how we are to live once we are saved. There are several things that we find here in Hebrews chapter 12, and he says this, that there is a race that the Bible tells us is set before us. Can I express to you today that God's desire is for us to know His will? Years ago, there was a a commercial on television of a man that was wearing uh, hip waders, and he had a a fishing pole with a dollar bill on the end of it, and uh, somebody was trying to grab it, and he'd, he'd pull it away just at the last second and say, well, almost got it, got to try a little harder. And can I tell you, God does not do that with His will. God's desire is for you and I to know His will for our lives. And He tells us His will in His Word. He tells us very clearly what pleases Him and what displeases Him. And as we follow His will, as we, as we bring our life into conformity with His Word, in the transforming work that it does inside of us, as we do that, He makes very clear and very plain a path that He sets before us. And He longs for you and I, notice what He says here in verse number 1, 
He says, let us lay, in the middle of it, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us. And by the way, doesn't sin beset us so easily. Our old flesh nature longs for that. And it is so amazing to me how often you and I fail in the Christian life. Even though we know we're saved. Even though we've trusted Christ as our Savior. How often we fail God. And it so easily besets us. And he tells us we're to lay these things aside. We're to lay aside the weight. We're to lay aside the sin, which just so easily besets us. And notice the phrase here that he uses. He says, let us run with patience the race that is set before us. The Apostle Paul, as he got to the end of his ministry, he said, I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Wouldn't it be wonderful if you and I could get to the end of our lives and to hear those words from the Lord, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful in a few things. I will make thee rule over many things. Wouldn't it be wonderful if you and I could not only know what the race is that God has laid before us, (coughs) but that we would run it. And not only that we would run it, but according to this writer, he says that we are to run it with what? With patience. That tells me that there's going to come some times that it's going to be a little bit discouraging to run the race. It tells me that there's going to be some times that I am not going to feel like running the race. It tells me that there are some times that I'm going to be weak in my faith, weaker in my faith than at other times. And so I must be patient in this running of the race. Very, very important that we understand that there are things that will hinder a runner. Uh, years ago, I was watching uh, some of these guys that were training for the, the, uh, the sprints that took place in the Olympics. And it was amazing to watch them. Some of them would uh, tow uh, sleds behind them that had large weights on them. Any of you ever watch them do some of that? And others of them would have these parachutes on their back. And they would, as they would run, these parachutes would open up and give resistance to them in their training. And I will say this, that I've never yet seen somebody come to the race in the Olympics still wearing the sled or still wearing the parachute. Because they understand and they know something that those things will hinder the running that they do. It's amazing to me how many times in my life and how many times in the lives of others we see that there are weights And there are sins that so easily beset us that discourage and that hinder our running the race that God has given to us. God's will, God's desire is that you and I run this race and that we run it with patience. Paul, uh, in fact, let's take a look here. I I think it's 1 Corinthians. Um, uh, Yes, 1 Corinthians. Let's look in verse, chapter number 15. Paul made this statement. Look in verse number 58. He says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye what? Steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Why would Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, have to pin these words to the church at Corinth? Could it be that they were discouraged in the work of the Lord? Could it be that the race that they were running, that there were obstacles in the way, that there were perhaps even sinful or weighty hindrances that kept them from running the way that they should? Quite possibly. But we understand that Paul's commission to them was that they be steadfast. 
that they, uh, the Bible tells us in verse 58, that we are to be unmovable, that we're to be always abounding in the work of the Lord. And when I read the writer of Hebrews in chapter 12, when he says, let us run the race with patience, I get the idea and the understanding that the reason he says we're to run it with patience is because there are going to come some things that are going to discourage us in the way. As God's people, there are going to be some times where we don't feel like it. I'll be real frank with you. I woke up this morning. I, I'll tell you right now, I didn't feel like coming in here and preaching. I, I've had other times where spiritually I've gotten cold and I've, I've lost the, the, the specialness of my time with the Lord. And there were times in my life I don't feel as much like serving Him as I used to. Does that mean we throw our hands up and say, I quit? Does that mean that I say, well, there's no sense in following you anymore. Might as well just stop. And by the way, <coughs> if that temptation hasn't come to you yet, you rest assured it will. Satan's going to bring something into your life that's going to cause you to say, is it even worth it? Should I even continue doing this? The truth is, Satan's out to destroy us, isn't he? He does everything that he can to keep us from fulfilling what the writer of Hebrews tells us in chapter 12 and verse number 1. He does everything that he can to cause there to be a hindrance to our running the race that God has given us to run. Now, hold your place here, and we're going to come back to it. So please keep your place marked there. Put a piece of paper or your Bible ribbon or something in the place there. We're going to come back to it in a moment. But turn now with me, if you will, to Psalm 1. Psalm 1. Psalm 1, let's begin reading in verse number 1. Blessed is the man. Now, I, I love any time the Bible talks about somebody being blessed or blessed. I, I want to sit up and take notice because I, I want God's blessing, don't you? I, I, I love when God blesses. He says, Blessed is the man, notice what he says here, that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. I, I've heard this taught, and I've taught it before, this, a similar way, in that we find here three different types of people. We find the ungodly, and we find the sinners, and we find the scornful. The ungodly give counsel. They speak uh, of their uh, lack of desire to do the things of God. They uh, perhaps even speak of evil things. And their counsel, the things that they say, the things that they encourage us in, are ungodly things, things that do not come in line with God's Word. And uh, notice this, that the psalmist, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, makes this statement, Blessed is he that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. So uh, it seems to me that by the time we get to the place where we are listening to ungodly people, that we are no longer running anymore. It looks to me, according to this passage, that we are now what? We're now walking. We're walking in their counsel. They have detracted us. They have held us back from doing the will of God and doing the race that was set before us and running it with patience. Then we find a second type of person here that's mentioned. We see there that there is a sinner. Now, the sinner is not one who just talks about the things that are evil and doesn't just give counsel to it. This is one who gets involved in the sin itself. When we... Uh, when we uh, have people that excel in some area, we call them by that name. For instance, uh, if you had to hire someone to do some plumbing in your house, you would want to hire a professional. We would call that person a 
plumber. Uh, if you needed somebody to do some carpentry work, we would call that person a carpenter. Why? Because they specialize in doing this. Can I tell you this? It's interesting that the Bible calls you and I sinners. You know, the thing that we do best in our natural state before we get saved is sin. It's what we're noted for. It is the, it is the natural tendency to do it. And so finding out here that there is not just a listening to the counsel of the ungodly that slows us from our running to our walking. Notice what he says here in verse number 1. He says, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor, what's the next word here? What is it? Standeth in the way of sinners. Uh, that's a far cry from running, I would think. And we see kind of a digression, do we not? That one of the first things Satan will do is he will cause us to be acceptable to the things that we're hearing. We no longer take a stand on ungodly things. We hear the counsel, we hear the arguments of a lost world about why it's unfair or unkind or, or uh, you've got to be hard-hearted to condemn somebody's sin. And we begin, to, we begin to depart. We're no longer steadfast on what the Bible says in that area. And if we don't correct that, it's not very long before we begin to associate with not only those that speak about it, but those that are actually involved in doing it. And it's not very long before we ourselves, although maybe at least with some conscience, we began to participate in the sin. And the psalmist says here that this is a point where we get to where we're no longer running the race we're no longer walking in the counsel of the ungodly. We've come to a standstill, haven't we? We're now standing in the way of sinners. We actually begin to do the same things that those that are practicing things contrary to God's Word are doing. And we begin to allow the old flesh nature to continue to work in our lives. A far cry from running the race with patience. And then I want you to notice the third kind of person that's given here in verse 1. He says, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. I, I've, I've been this way before, and when I was younger, there were times I tried to get by with things. By the way, uh, for you young people, you're, you, you think you fool mom and dad so many times, they know more than you, you think they know. I remember times I used to try to get by with some things. And uh, when I would do wrong, I would do it looking around, making sure Dad wasn't around. I'll never forget, there was a, a fellow uh, that was a friend of mine. He was a good friend of mine. He was a couple years older than me. His name was Stephen Cooley. And uh, I was standing outside uh, the church building one day after school. And uh, Stephen and I were standing there. And I don't know what possessed me to do it. He and I were good friends. and But for some reason, I, I just had this urge <coughs> to step on his foot and shove him where he couldn't catch himself. Any of you ever do something stupid like that? Uh, I did. And, and, you know, I'll be real frank with you. The second I did it, I knew it was wrong. By the way, uh, every time we sin, we know we're doing it. We, we don't just fall into sin. We make a choice. We make a choice. And then these folks that, uh, that uh, you know, they, uh, they think that they're getting by with it. I thought, boy, uh, nobody saw me. And I remember uh, hitting that foot and pushing him, and he tried to catch himself, and he went back and fell on the ground. He was all embarrassed. 
And as soon as I did it, I, I felt horrible. He's my friend, and here I am doing something to embarrass him. And all of a sudden, I hear a voice that was well recognized in my ears. The voice of my father. Greg, get in my office. I didn't think he had seen me. And man, I'm going to tell you what. My heart sunk. My dad believed in not sparing the rod. And some of you know what I mean when I say there is a difference between a whipping and a whooping. The whoopings help us remember very vividly from time to time. We do not do that. I got a whooping that day. That to this day is indelible upon my mind. It is ingrained. It is etched there. I'll tell you this. I never did it again. But I often think of people who are standing in the way of sinners as people who are participating in the sin. But they're kind of looking around with the conscience, boy, I hope I don't get caught. But when they get to the place of a scorner, they're at a place where there's no longer a conscience of it. And the Bible refers to them here as those which sit in the seat of the scornful. At any point in our walk with the Lord and in running the race that God has given to us, as we see any one of these three things begin to take place in our lives, it needs to be corrected immediately. We need to come back to a full realization of what God wants for you and I as a Christian to live our lives by. Now notice as he says here in verse 1, he says, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. Now hold your place here in Psalm 1. We're going to come back to it. All right, Go back to, Acts, or to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter number 12. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse number 1. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. How in the world do we accomplish that with an old flesh nature that keeps trying to trip us up? The writer of Hebrews, under the inspiration of Scripture, tells us how. In verse number 2, he says this, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before Him, endured the cross. So you say, well, how am I going to run this race with patience when Satan is doing everything he can to get me to be tripped up, to be hindered. He's, I've got to be around ungodly people. I, I have sinners that are trying to entice me. I, I have those that are scornful that are mocking me and ridiculing me. From How in the world in this wicked day that I live in am I going to be able to run with patience the race that God has given me? We do it by looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. All right, now bear with me for a moment. We're almost done. You're going to get out of here early today. How do we look unto Jesus? There are men that will stand behind pulpits today that will say, I've seen him. I, I, yeah, I had a vision of him. And, and he may try, they may try to get you to think, well, yeah, you, you look to Jesus, you, you raise your eyes to heaven. No, no. That's not where we find Jesus. The, the way that you and I find Jesus in the day and be able to look at him in the day that you and I live is to, how, is to do what? 
Where do we find Him? Do we find Him at church? Well, I hope so, because I hope we're using where we find Him at church. But church isn't necessarily the place you find Jesus. Do we find it in, in, in our friends, in our family? Do we find it at our workplace? Where do we find Jesus? If we're going to keep our eyes upon Him, if we're going to look unto Jesus, where do we find Him? Let's go back to Psalm chapter 1. And here we're going to find where we find Jesus. Psalm 1. He talks about, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the what? Law of the Lord. You know where we find Jesus in the day that we live? In the pages of this book right here. It's where we find Him. If I want to know something about Him, I'm going to find it in, this page, in the pages of this book. So, so bear with me for a moment. Let's think this through. I am supposed to lay aside the weight and the sin, anything that would hinder me from running the race that God has given for me to run. I'm not to come into the counsel of the ungodly. I'm not to stand in the way of sinners. I'm not to sit in the seat of the scornful. And I do that by looking unto Jesus, who is the author and the finisher. By the way, He's always the beginning and the end, isn't He? He's the Alpha and the Omega. He's the one that began our faith. He's the one that will finish and complete our faith. He which hath begun a good work in you will perform it. The Bible teaches this very clearly, that the Lord Jesus Christ doesn't just save us from our sin, but He does, through His Holy Spirit, a sanctifying work in our lives, day in and day out. So how do I find that? How do I see Jesus? I'll be real frank with you. I can go to work and not see Jesus. I can spend time with my family and not see Jesus. But every time that I come to the pages of this book, I see the Lord Jesus Christ. He strengthens my faith. He teaches me in righteousness. He expresses to me His will. And with the illuminating work of the Holy Spirit that lives inside of us, He brings those truths vividly to life. I want to charge us today from the Word of God and from the truth of God's Word that we run with patience the race that is set before us. In Ephesians chapter number 5, the Bible says, And be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. And he uses the phrase, being filled with the Spirit. And then he goes on to say, Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. In Colossians chapter number 3, he says, Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly with all wisdom. And you know what he says right after that? Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. The exact same things that are the result of being filled with the Holy Spirit of God are the exact same things we find by letting the Word of Christ dwell in us richly with all wisdom. They are one and the same. You cannot have one without the other. If you and I are to run with patience the race that God intends for each and every one of us, we must look unto Jesus and we must look unto Him in this book. That's going to change a lot of things in our life. 
When the Bible says, be ye holy, for I am holy, it's going to change the way I live. When it tells me that I've got to let all of the communication that comes from my mouth, the Bible uses this phrase, to let it be seasoned with grace. It's going to change the way I talk. When it tells me that I'm supposed to love my enemy and do good to them which despitefully use me, it's going to change the way I respond to others. How am I going to accomplish God's race that He's laid before me? I'm going to get into this book, and I'm going to feast upon it. And I'm going to let it saturate my heart and my mind so that every moment of every day, I can be looking unto Jesus. He's the author of my faith. He's the finisher of my faith. And as much as I am able to surrender my will to looking unto Jesus, it will in large part determine whether I am running with patience the race that is set before me. We allow the ungodly to give us counsel. We listen. We give an ear. And the next thing you know, we've quit running. We've slowed down. If we continue down that path of listening to the council, we begin eventually doing the same things that they do. We begin to stand in that same way. And if it does not get corrected, there will come a point where the conscience will be seared and we will now flagrantly, vocally, and boldly defy the truth of God's Word. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, the Bible tells us that the delight of this blessed man, the one that doesn't listen to the counsel of the ungodly, the one that doesn't stand in the way of sinners, the one that doesn't sit in the seat of the scornful, the Bible says his delight, the thing that is the thrill of his heart, is to meditate in the law of God. The Bible says here, day and night. Why? So we can see Jesus. So we can live the way He wants us to live. So He can be the example to us that He longs to be. I urge you today that we get to the place where we stop and examine our own hearts and our own lives. Are there some of these things that are found in Psalm 1 that are creeping in? We allow them. We don't hold to the same thing that we used to. We're not steadfast. We're not unmovable. We're not always abounding in the work of the Lord. I think there are often times in our lives we quit running. And I want to encourage us today, let's start running again. Let's start running again. The race that is set before us. Let's stand together, shall we, with heads bowed. Father, we're thankful for Your Word. I pray that You will teach and instruct us <coughs> from its pages. Lord, all of it. All of it is profitable to us. For doctrine and for reproof and for correction, and for instruction in righteousness. That those of us that are saved, the Bible refers to them as the man of God, may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. Lord, may we learn 